Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Hello everybody, I'm delighted to be here tonight. It's fantastic to be able to talk to you because tonight we are here at 6.30pm Wednesday night in the UK. Um, we have filmmaker Dean Leslie with us tonight. Hi Dean, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you're really well known amongst runners for your basically your stunning videos for Salomon TV and you follow athletes like around the world um, and you currently run a company called Wandering Fever. Um, I just wondered just to kind of set the scene and start everybody off, um, how did you get into that in the first place? Um, the shortest answer is uh, I had a childhood friend Ryan Sands and we knew each other since we were six years old. Um, and when he started running, I just started film and we started doing a project together um, and that developed in over the years into um, a film we wanted to do together and then someone saw some early things that we were doing and at that time, I think it was 20, 2009 or 2010 and um, it was just in like the kind of boom with trail running. Um, and Salomon contacted me um, to look at uh, look, creating a series of films around trail running. Um, so that's effectively how it started. It morphed over the years, but um, it was through Ryan. Ah, okay, because you're both based in South Africa as, as well, aren't you? Um, do you live yeah. close to each other then? You were at school? Yeah. Yeah, he's just a couple of valleys down from me, and um, yeah, we've always we were at school together for yeah our whole lives. So. Ah, oh, sweet! That's so cool. Yeah. And so, are you a runner as well um, as him? 
Um, I wouldn't classify myself as a runner. Um, I do run now. Um, it's a nice, efficient way to move in the mountains. But I didn't run before I started filming. Um, yeah. Did um, did Ryan run um, before you started filming him? Was that that was the main reason that he wanted you to to film him? When, when he when, the first time that I knew he was running, um, he actually phoned me saying he was doing a two hundred and fifty k race through the Gobi Desert. Um, so I I didn't even know he was running at the sta at that stage, and I didn't know that anything like that existed. So that kind of captured my imagination in terms of big wilderness open spaces where people are running through um and that's what like ultimately got me interested in like pursuing something um and falling in love with shooting shooting running in, in wild spaces i really cinematically and it's it's appealing yeah well they're certainly the films that you make for salomon are certainly very visually appealing just now and we have quite a lot of fans of yours on the channel so i just want to read out a few comments um uh guy greater x has um he's already written a comment he's one of my uh, patrons here and he says in lockdown lots of people were recommending running films to watch and lots or nearly all of them were from salomon tv so thank you for that dean <laughs> right I'm glad. <laughs> and we've got tons of people watching tonight live as well. So I'll just do a little shout out to everybody because everybody wants to say hi to you. <laughs> so uh, Adrian says hi. Um, Guy, who, who wrote that comment previously, he has got loads of questions for you tonight. So he says hi, really looking forward to this. Oh, um, <laughs> um, Rich Simpson says, good evening, Dean. Um, John Gardner says hello. Nigel Barnett says hi. Chris Williams. Philip Haddock, uh, Christian Andre Anderson and Hannah Baisley are all watching live tonight, not to mention millions of others who haven't yet written a comment. So if you've got any questions for Dean live, um, then get typing. We have got some great patron questions to come tonight. Um, but yeah, if you've got any specific questions, um, Dean is all ours for the next at least half an hour so um it's absolutely fantastic that you can join us um so i've just got a question first of all that i'm really keen to know how camera kit has changed over over those 10 years that you've been basically shooting because i know i having just started doing youtube over the last three years things have really moved on even in that short space of time so um yeah what were you using at the start when you started shooting brian and and what do you use, use now yeah, it, it's obviously changed with the size and quality. Um, it's not really comparable. Um, so initially we were shooting on a Sony X1, so it's a fairly large camcorder, and then that was quite small for the, that time. Um, and then I think in, once the 5Ds came out, so we were shooting with a, a bigger camera and then the smaller um, camcorders, like, I mean, uh, this, the Canons. Um, and then with mirrorless, as, as all the bodies get smaller, um, it's not just the body, it's the fact that you can have a smaller body, all the peripherals, um, everything around that you would, you know, your stabilizing kits or your tripod or everything can shrink in size. So it makes a drastic difference, you know, just a few hundred grams can change your kit weight by a massive amount. Um, and the fact that you can now have a backpack with a cinema camera, um, a stabilizer, a drone, um, and probably a backup camera in a single backpack and carry that on your back. Uh, that was not possible uh, when I started. Um, it's quite amazing. 
And that's not even getting into what GoPro have done and, and all the smaller action cams. Yeah, I mean, a lot of your athletes, um, they also carry a camera and you, you put their footage like from their iPhone, presumably, and from the GoPro, like when Ricky was doing his run, um, Transamericana. Um, uh, so I noticed he was using his footage and then you were cutting to your footage. It was really interesting the way that you managed mm. to like combine that. And, and his footage, like not to downplay yours or anything, but like the quality of his footage is, is really good, isn't it? Like it comes quite yeah. seamlessly between the two. It doesn't, it isn't just like, oh, this is really blurry and then this is really amazing. It's, a, it's quite a seamless transition that you've managed to make there. Um, do, you, do you do that with a lot of athletes? Um, like ha- how do you decide like, who who shoots what bit and like how do you storyboard it all um guy's got a question about that he's like saying do you ask ricky to film certain things on his run or do you just let the adventure just take its course how does it all work yeah so i started uh, experimenting with the kind of athlete self-shot film pieces in about 2016 um i've done about half a dozen projects um with various different athletes, uh, Kaylin Thorin uh, across the Sierra. Um, I did with Joe Grant, um, he did the Turded 14ers where he summited each of the Colorado 14ers um, and in between cycling to each of them. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't, I don't just send them out and just say, get what you can. Um, we set up a kit. So I have like little camcorders that we use um, just like little point and shoots there, little Sony. Um, I can't even remember the model of what it is, but it's a tiny point and shoot like you would shoot on take on holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and a, and a GoPro as well usually. Um, and in terms of giving them um, structure with what to shoot, um, if I'm going to have someone there, or if I'm going to be there, uh, we kind of know what we will get so getting that raw stuff is really invaluable um to remove the camera away um gives it quite a voyeuristic element suddenly you can watch a 10 minute long clip because you're just there with that person and there's no third party interfering um so it really changes the feel of things um so the biggest challenge for you know for ricky's trip for example um, would have been filming when all you want to do is curl in a ball in the corner of the room and cry yourself to sleep and <laughs> that's really, really when you want to get footage um, so we talk about that a lot just saying like when you know when it's getting really bad that's when you want to pull the camera out mm-hmm. um, and then you're just getting stuff that you can never capture you'll mm-hmm. never be able to capture that with a per- another person being there yeah yeah for sure because somebody changes as soon as you shove a camera in their face don't they always Mm. happens um and and i was really intrigued like i know you said the hardest thing was the like the emotional side of it and pulling the camera out when you don't really want to but i also was thinking it might be quite challenging in terms of the battery life of these things because like my gopro only lasts for like two hours or so so do you how do you kind of keep meeting them on the way and recharging or swapping stuff um yeah, it's obviously uh, project dependent. It just depends what the person's doing. So when Kaylin was out in the Sierra, I would hike out with a pack and 
meet up with her for four or five days and I would then take cards, take batteries back. I would shoot while I was out there um, and then I'd back up all her stuff, give her fresh batteries. Um, when Joe went out, he was totally self-sufficient. So he would just, when he could cross through a town, he would recharge. Um, and uh, and same with Ricky. So we just sent him with a, a, lot, of, a lot of memory cards um and a lot of batteries and he was moving through towns and he's stopping at gas stations and you know there was there wasn't really really long stretches where he wasn't touching civilization um and then you obviously have power banks that you can carry and stuff as well um and then when we had someone go out we would just Ricky would just give a load of memory cards and just kind of dump it with us and and, and that was probably the biggest job out of that that project was um, the amount of data we had from Ricky because, you know, you're running 30 miles a day, you're going to use your camera um, to buy the time sometimes, forget you're rolling, you'd have like a full roll on a GoPro filling a card of just, you know, just rolls just going because you forgot it was recording um, <laughs> and, you, and we had to just sit for months going through that stuff to find <laughs> fine moments. Yeah, wow, because somebody has to watch that all at the end, doesn't it? Like. Mm. And it's not like Ricky will watch that and then go, oh, there's a bit, there's a bit, there's a bit. You've yeah. got to do that. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Um, so um, I've just got a question about, I, I want to come back to that in a moment, but Guy's got another question about the, the whole like athletes filming themselves and you filming the athletes because um, he's been watching the Great Himalaya Trail FKT attempt uh, with Ryan cool. and Rhino. Um, yeah. And he said they got into some quite life-threatening situations and he wants to know nice. as a filmmaker, like how did you react to that? And like, did you personally get into any danger as well? Um, so can you just say what the danger was just so that to kind of outline it for anyone who's not seen that film? Um, yeah, there, there was, uh, you know, most of the stuff's not even in the film. It was just so much stuff that, that happened on that trip. Um, it was emotionally quite a rough trip because obviously Ryan and Rainer, it was just me, Ryan, Rainer, and Jared who was filming with me. So it was a small little team of four people. Um, and yeah, just, um, I'm trying to think of what didn't happen. Um, we yeah we had you know it's just a lot of situations where um it's 50 50 so it's it's not like dramatic um it's just so simple um so like it would just happen so simply and so stupidly that you would die where you like see a patch of ice and it's the only access through and no one's got crampons there's one ice axe between seven of us because we had porters with us um, one of the porters slipped um, on that patch of ice and he's just gliding in slow motion towards the edge with like a 3,000 foot drop, you know, and then just catches himself and then comes back. And, and so that kind of stuff rattles you um, a, a lot, especially when you're out there making a film um, that ultimately goes on the Internet and, you know, maybe 100,000 people watch it, but it's not going to change the world. Um, and you definitely don't want to die doing that stuff. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of such, you know, we, we, and, and we, to film the start of that, we did a 150 K round trip just to film two minutes. So we did on foot, we went out, it was 75 Ks out, 75 Ks back and me and Jared. Um, and then it took us eight days to catch up with them, to see them again. Um, 
coming back some goats kicked off rocks on a cliff above us we nearly got hit by rocks so it's just really dumb stuff but you just because you're pushing and you're going at pace and you've got a lot going on and you're carrying a 30 40 kg pack and there's just so much going on that really simple situations can get out of control quite quickly um, so when i came back from that trip i actually kind of like locked myself in the house and I didn't, uh, for like two months, I didn't do anything. I didn't surf, I didn't go in the mountain. I just had too much experience uh, in a congested period. Um, you just had to process it all. Mm. Yeah, that does sound like a scary trip in particular. <laughs> and imagine if you were filming something and somebody started sliding off, like, do you stop filming and help them? Or like, do you carry on filming? Because that would make a great film. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Yeah, I think when I was younger, maybe I would have tried to carry on rolling. But now I've, I've got very clear lines of where um, <laughs> what's okay and what's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same with that same trip, Reno um, started uh, um, having like a breathing difficulty. Uh, he was starting to shake. Um, we were in a super remote area. I was only in comms via WhatsApp with Ryan every time he would run into signal. Um, and we were trying to call it off and he didn't want anything to do with that. So, you, you know, you're grappling with lots of different scenarios all the time. So the film was so far distant in the background mm -hmm. of like what we were there for, you know, it ultimately became like, okay, let's just make sure that all four of us get through this. Um, and, and then, you know, we just want to make sure everyone gets home safe and we've all got families and, mm. um, yes, just became it. about survival and then we'll think about the film later. <laughs> yeah. It's good to know where the priorities lie. That's for sure. Um, and so it, it does sound like a pretty stressful job. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge? Like, is it something like that where you're literally kind of fighting for survival rather than making a film? Or is it more of the mundane stuff like, oh, we've got tons of footage from this athlete, they've been going for ages, um, or the batteries have run out? Like, um, what is the biggest challenge, would you say, in, in what you do? Um, well, what I love about film is the, um, the array of challenges you face um, from from like conceptual like thinking in the beginning to technical setups of gear um, to problem solving in the edit um, to the physical demands of being on shoot. I, I love all those elements. Um, for me, mentally, the biggest challenge is the prep, like leading up to get on shoot. Um, shoot shoots, you know, being in a location is really like only 10% of the job. It's And it's why you do it, because you have these amazing experiences and do things that you'd never do without it. Um, so that prep, I find extremely stressful, getting everything to the place we're shooting, uh, have making sure all the gears in one piece, um, having enough backups in case something goes wrong. Um, and in terms of challenge, like uh, I would say editing is the biggest, biggest challenge because it's such a huge part of what, what film is. Um, it's where you're taking all these ideas and material and uh, formulating a narrative story. Um, so that is definitely where the challenge is. And it is challenging to sit in an edit suite for months and months to try complete a project. Um, there's not a lot of fun involved there. but. Um, um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's like a massive game of Tetris. 
Yeah, it really is. And I was really struck, like coming from a writing background where it's, you know, like magazines, it's writing it's and it's photography. You can kind of make stuff up. So if you've not got something, you can yeah. go and you can reshoot something quickly and you can write it in, you know, like if you just, you know, you're just like, oh, no, that doesn't work like that. We have to just say this and it you can kind of craft it a bit more. Whereas I've realized with film, if you haven't got that footage, you can't show no. it unless you're going to do no. some kind of animation or like, a, I don't know, some photographs with a bit of a storyline voiceover over the top. Like there's ways you can sort of get around it, but it really is a really truthful medium, isn't it? So you can't just make anything up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would counter that a little bit. I totally agree with you because <laughs> it is stressful to get all that footage. But um documentary film is very manipulative um, in terms of what you can do with stuff um, because you're layering lots of different things on each other so you've got a narrative layer and you can have interviews or narration and then you can put picture on top of something that someone's saying that's unrelated and give it meaning um, so there's definitely like an ethics set involved, like to have like a strong moral set of values and a line that you won't cross as a, as a filmmaker uh, because you want to earn trust in the people you're filming and you don't want to put words in people's mouths or present them in a way that isn't truthful, um, even if it makes the story better. So there's a constant uh, balancing act um, in film yeah i like the way you describe it as tetris that's really really <laughs> really interesting way of describing it um and you've made loads of films like you've you've been all over the world like i was just having a look at your website just before we came live and you've been to like china japan nepal spain the usa south africa norway the arctic patagonia papua new guinea even i'm just wondering like um do you have like a favorite film um guy Greatrex wants to know this as well like have you got something you're most proud of um, and I'm, I'm just wondering if, if you have a, like a favorite country to film in as well um, favorite film it's really difficult because it, the films are so linked to experience um, but yeah maybe in terms of it was at just stages in my career um, I did a film with Ryan called the beauty of the irrational um, it was something that was in my head um, it you know, we didn't really get paid to do it, um, and we got to go up to Namibia, and he ran through the um, Fisher of a Canyon. It's the second largest canyon in the world, um, and did an FKT. Um, and at that stage, there wasn't a lot of running media like that, and I didn't know if it would work. Um, and it did work, and it got picked up, and it got a lot of views, and it, it's, it paved, gave me a lot of opportunity um, and scope to produce films that I wanted to do after that. Um, and then another film that I liked in terms of what we were able to do was a film didn't get a wide release. It was called On the Road with Rick, it was also with Ricky. Um, but there's a like I think there's somewhere on YouTube there's a it's called On the Road a Salomon TV special. So it's an 18 minute little mini doc of of Ricky um, like kind of like a bio on him. Um, but what we were able to do is I was able to take um, the influence that I've had from surf films and actually make little like kind of running sequences. Like you, if you watch a surf film, you'll have like a surf sequence with music and it would just be surfing. Um, I didn't know that if you could ever do that with running and keep someone watching. Um, and so we did, 
you know, a sequence in the desert, in the forest, um, in the canyons, and in the mountains. Um, and I really liked that that structure. I was quite proud of how he put that structure together within a narrative, and there was still a story. Um, so yeah, that, but those are early days. Um, it gets harder to be proud of your work as you as you go on. Oh, does it? Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, because you never finish, so you're always abandoning it. Um, you could carry on crafting something endlessly, um, and sometimes you start going backwards at some point. Um, I'm I'm proud of every piece I've done because I know what effort went into them. Sometimes they're not as good as I wanted to be, wanted them to be, but um, I'm still proud of them because it's hundreds and hundreds of hours of craft in them. Yeah, I don't know if people realise what goes into, especially the editing side of things. Like that, you could jump about with a camera all day and have a great time, um, provided you've got enough battery life and SD cards. But then when you get it all back to the editing suite and you have to sit there and like, I use Final Cut Pro, and it just takes forever to do like mm. three minutes. <laughs> it's just yeah, like it's such a thankless task, isn't it? I <laughs> I would say that like the ratio of like editing to filming is like could be even as much as like one to five to be honest like for some things what yeah. would you think do you think similarly well yeah i think are you talking about how much footage you have to what you actually use um kind of time like you could do one day of filming uh, but it can take you like five days to edit it sometimes <laughs> like oh uh, yeah no like uh you know, Transamericana, we spent probably over a year in the edit suite. <gasps> really? Um, wow. Wow. Well, it's, some, some, yeah. Sometimes it's just really difficult to, you know, some days I will sit and, on a job that's meant to take me eight days and I'll just have one day of magic and I'll get, you know, a lot done. And it's just one of those days where everything clicks. And we have other projects where every day you just sit down and you put in 10 hours and you maybe get a 10 seconds of cutting out of it, you know. And yeah. So you'll just sit there for months and months. I think GA, the, GA, uh, the Great Himalaya Trail, I was in the edit for over three months, I think. Wow. And is that yeah. like um, because you have to watch so much footage back or is it the difficulty of choosing what to take and what to discard? Yeah, I think uh, it's getting the length right, um, working out which which moments are key, and making sure that the story's flowing in a way that, you know, you're never getting bored and you, you you're intrigued the whole time. Um, because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of structural rules in things that are like below 40 minutes. Um, you know, Ricky's one was a lot easier because is is very specific structural rule that you need to um, meet but then it was the mountain of footage actually to find which moment fits in in that like arc for for his character in the exact moment so you're dropping a lot of stuff that um just doesn't fit in that specific structure and you're talking like at this minute this needs to something needs to start happening here and at this so it's a, in a very specific three-act structure but below 40 minutes you just like there's no rules, so you, you're just going off feeling. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. And do you ever make a long edit, you know, like for the true fans that really could just sit there and watch something like for hours and hours, like have it on in the background? Do you ever just put out like um, like a long edit of stuff? You know, I've, it's something we always speak about. Um, I've never have. Um, I usually go to whoever I'm working with, if it's Salomon or Red Bull or another client, um, 
you know, if I'm contracted for a certain, you, you get contracted for a duration uh, for the piece you're going to release. Um, I would release, uh, I, you know, even if it's a 10 minute piece you've been contracted for and you put it together and you're like, okay, this is a 30 minute film. This is the best format for that film. I'll just go back to them and say, listen, I'm going to cut a 30 minute. Um, and that's just what I'm doing. Um, that's the best way to do this. It's, you know, I'll take the hit on that time um, because that's the best way to tell that story. So usually that that film that I get, that is released is the best time that I can do. I'm sure maybe someone else could come in and do a different time on it. And then it's really hard to go back into a project once you finish the film. I, I just struggle to open the workspace again. Um, so I have, I've got everything. I've got hundreds of hard drives with all my backups. I just, I've never gone back into anything yet. Yeah. But, um, but you don't I'm, have time. <laughs> it's like it goes on to the next thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, do you ever do a blooper reel as well? Like, sometimes I know you include the funny bits um, sometimes in the actual film. But would you ever do like a, a blooper reel of like all your films just to put out for Christmas or something? <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is a, just a case of time. I think this year is the first year that I've been. Sorry, this is my dog Digby. He's just come to say hi. Oh, hello. <laughs> hey, Digby. Digby's your life coach, isn't he? Yeah, he is my life coach. He He's on your website as your day. life coach. <laughs> what insights does he bring to your filmmaking? Um, to be present when you're at home and <laughs> enjoy the people around you. Um, what kind yeah, of dog is he? He's a street special. Okay, well, he's like a, a mongrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A good-looking mongrel. Ah, uh, yeah, he does look very cute. Is he white <laughs> and brown? Yeah. Yeah, white, brown, and black. Lovely. Ah, hi, Digby. <laughs> Sorry, I actually got off track there. I don't know what I was answering. <laughs> um, I think you'd um, you'd you'd finished saying uh, about how long it takes you to do these things, and you're not going to do a blooper reel, um, just because of time. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it, this was the first. This is the first year in over a decade that I've actually had free time um, outside of film. You know, up until last year, we we're doing 140 minutes of content a year um, in total. Um, each year when you accumulate that and, and that's full like the, there's not a lot of gaps there um, for anything else yeah. um, so we'll see uh, it seems like I've got a bit more time on my side now well I thought I did but uh, with a little with a little baby it's not not, not too much free time <laughs> yeah congratulations on your eight month old um, I know that COVID's probably put an end to your traveling at the moment anyway, but has it been, um, how different has it been for you to do your work whilst having a little one around? Yeah, I, I plan to take a break. Um, uh, when, when, we were, when my wife was due, I wanted to have the time here with him. I didn't want to be on the road. Uh, so I only had set up um, a couple projects, um, all of which have been postponed and delayed. So I've actually had you know, barring a few little projects here and there, I've had the whole year um, at home and um, I feel very blessed um, that I've been given that opportunity in, in such a crazy time. Um, um, yeah, I feel very lucky. And if I could go back, I would um, clear my schedule and I would take the hits on a year's income to have this time that I've had with them. Um, it's, there's no go backs on this kind of stuff. Um, 
to be there to see him growing is quite quite amazing. So I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to take another year off. Um, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be amazing. And then maybe he'll grow up and come with you on some of this kind of thing, and you yeah. can kind of hand over the skills to him. It'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a couple of questions on the live chat um, just coming in. Um, we've got Rich Simpson says um, he's wondering if you have to train to be like when you were traveling. He was wondering if you had to train to be in environments like the mountains or remote places um do you have to because uh, you know you're with athletes who are presumably running quite quickly and you've got this big bag on your back full of camera gear you must be pretty fit um what kind of training do you do yeah i definitely wouldn't say i'm fit um <laughs> especially at the moment but um yeah i think there's a sometimes a misconception about what how it works you know um you're not running with him all the time like maybe you'll do little stretches and then you're definitely not carrying a heavy pack because it's tough to keep up with those guys um carrying nothing yeah um yeah the biggest challenge is actually just getting the gear out to location so um carrying heavy packs that's actually the best training you can do for for camera work is to load it and but that's really difficult to do at home because when i come home i want to be in the mountains without any pack on because all my work is spent in the mountains with packs on so then i come home and i'll run and be light and you know really enjoy that and then you get to the next job and then the first five days just a suffer fest again because you gotta get used to carrying the pack yeah <laughs> so no training you just suffer <laughs> yeah exactly oh well rich says he's preparing for an, an expedition to the antarctic um Amazing. so yeah he says um if you fancy doing some filming for that it will have to be mates rates though <laughs> <laughs> just you pay, you pay my way to the antarctic i'm there yeah <laughs> yeah amazing place that would be amazing um and adrian orange says that's pretty extreme filmmaking that dean's talking about here can he choose what the project is or are you contracted to make like specific to film specific subjects like how now that you're quite well established um that how much control do you get over these projects you did talk earlier about like making 30 minute films rather than what they've requested but yeah like do you how much of a hand do you get in just exactly what that film is yeah so in my time um with salomon tv when i first started you obviously it's a new client you don't no one knows each other um so i was very much i i was given a very wide scope of what i needed to like what they wanted in terms of film but i was told i needed to be here for this race with these athletes so you know it's there's no real massive brief. It's just like make something, but that you've got to be there. So it's very specific. Um, I did that for two years and I kind of just learned about trail running and I, I saw what was happening. Um, and then I went into Salomon and I pitched what ultimately became Salomon Running TV. Um, and I had uh, like almost complete autonomy um, for those first few years of about with what I wanted to make. Um, every, you know, they, they would have requests maybe one of the films a year would be like listen we need we need this um can you do this yeah like, okay cool i'll do that because i was giving giving given free reign um but yeah you know as as your career progresses you um you you do have the ability to choose um it's scary it never stops being scary uh, saying no to work um but if you can you know 
the more you say no and and the more you the right projects come along um it's easier to make decisions based on faith rather than fear um and when you do that um only good things happen so you just got to make sure you're making the decisions for the right reason um and then you obviously find your voice as well so you you build confidence in yourself and you're now confident to go say to someone if someone gives you a note and it's going to change the integrity of the film you say okay listen i understand why you're saying that but like i really feel strongly about this like that we are going to lose some authenticity in this and we should think about this if we're going to change that so you just learn a negotiating skill set because you're fighting for the film and other people are fighting for different things um and i think that's important and is there a film that you haven't made yet you know like something that you have a burning desire to do that you you haven't done yet um i grew up surfing um it was my introduction to wilderness um i used a lot of my influence from growing up watching surf films into the films i made with charning so i would i would love to one day maybe make a surf film that's um that would be on my list mm, yeah that'd be awesome yeah i can definitely see that within your films it's there sometimes they have a dreamlike quality you know like the the flow of a surf film is definitely there in the running films you make everything look so beautiful Ah, oh, thank you. It's good to hear. <laughs> um, and we've got some uh, some people want some tips from you. Um, so uh, we've got John Airy says, "Can I be cheeky and ask two questions about the filming? How does Dean manage to film in low light? First of all, that's his first question to you." Um, yeah, so low lights become a lot easier with the um, the mirrorless cameras. Um, so I use the Sony um, A7S II. There's a new model of that out now, and that, you know, if you get your settings right in low light, you can see more than your eye can see. So it's quite an amazing camera. Wow. Um, so we utilize that a lot, um, but you have to practice to get those settings just right because if it's off, you're just going to have grain. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like artificial lights. I don't often use them. Um, we will use headlamps a lot. Um, uh, sometimes we'll clip a headlamp onto the front of the camera if we if we need to. We'll just like put Velcro on and just jam it onto the front. Um, so we try to keep everything as simple and light as we can, and everything should have multiple multiple uses. You don't want to be carrying stuff for single use. Um, but yeah, you just work with it. But there, yeah, those. The, you know, I think each brand has a low light camera now, um, and it's quite incredible what they capture. Ah, okay, that's cool. Thank you for that. Um, and his second question is about using a Steadicam. He says, "Has Dean used a Steadicam, and if so, how tiring is it to wear?" Um, and then he says that the first movie um, that used one was about a runner. I think um, Marathon Man um, used a Steadicam for the first time. Um, so yeah, yeah, he just thought that'd be interesting to ask. <laughs> yeah. So when when I first started, I did a the first big like budget running piece we did was actually a music video um i used to direct music videos and i was shooting with ryan i pulled him in to be we needed a runner and we had a massive i didn't use the rig because you it, it was like a 50 kg uh, steady cam rig and we put the guy on um 
what are those things where you have the wheels and you lean forward and they go um, segway? Oh, segway, yeah. So we we had an off-road segway um, on the beach, um, cool. and the guy carrying the rig actually came off. So he had like a 50 kg rig fall on top of him <gasps> oh with my the goodness. cameras. <laughs> oh no! Um, I hope the cameras were all right. <laughs> yeah, they sound expensive. Then, and then we used a steady cam Merlin uh, for years before the new brushless gimbals, and that's a very small handheld um, weight, like kind of weighted uh, thing. And it's actually great to still, I still have one because the brushless um, motorized gimbals that you have now, if it's raining, uh, they dead weight. And um, those little Steadicam Merlins, there's no, there's no electronics in it, so you can go in torrential downpours and wrap your camera in glad wrap and you'll be fine yeah i think i think i've seen a film of someone making one of those even because they're quite simple things mm. to do aren't they yeah exactly. yeah and what do you think of the gopros now the the hero seven and eight they just have such amazing stabilization you can even run with them like they're my saving grace i love them yeah i know it's incredible what's coming out um, the the yeah that little that stabilization stabilization in the gopros is amazing what it's doing go back 10 years you couldn't uh, yeah it wouldn't have seemed possible yeah it's pretty amazing um yeah i don't think i could have done this job um 10 years ago well youtube was hardly around even was it yeah. <laughs> all the technology um and so uh bram uh, van diemen he's one of my patrons and he quite regularly makes films of his runs which he shares with us which look really beautiful um, he's based in the netherlands um he would like to know what your advice would be for aspiring filmmakers so um i suppose that's quite a, a general question so he says what are the traps to look out for and he's also um he's asking about um good resource sites for the music which is is interesting we haven't talked about the music side of things yet cool um yeah i, I suppose the biggest and hardest thing to do in film is to simplify and that's ultimately what you're doing when you're sitting in the edit suite you are taking a story and you stripping it back and stripping it back to its simplest form when it's only got what it needs um, and so learning how to do that and losing the emotional attachment you have to the footage, especially if you're shooting it yourself, um, you know, you, you will know this. When you go out and film something, you, there's an experience attached to that and um, you feel a certain way. And, and when you come back in the edit suite and you watch that footage, it evokes those feelings that you felt. But only you have those feelings and no one watching the, that footage has those feelings attached to it um, so to be able to to step away and 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 you know just look at it through a different lens um, with someone that you know someone's eyes that are going to see that um, so dropping the emotional attachments and simplifying um, and it's just it's such simple things but it took me you know going on a decade, I'm still learning how to do it, um, and it, it, it's never-ending. But if you can get those things, that's what makes a great film, ultimately. Yeah, so step back, um, maybe get somebody else to watch it even, do you think? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I suppose the other rule would be story, story trumps footage. So um, uh, if, if you've got like the most beautiful shot you've ever shot in your life from a mountaintop, and it just does not work in your story and there's no reason for it to be there, it gets binned. 
um, and it, it's like there's no dis- and I've had so many discussions with all the guys that have worked with me and different be- people and it, it gets pinned every time because you, it has to have a reason for being there and being pretty or beautiful isn't enough it needs to have reason Mm. Same with writing, I suppose. You don't want to, you're not going to just go off on a tangent yeah. on a paragraph. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's wise words, wise words there. So I hope that helps Bram. And, and he says, um, what sites do you use for music? Um, yeah, do you use local musicians and like local artists and stuff? Yeah, um, I wish I was, uh, I wish I had a more romantic answer for this. Um, so when when I started, I did, I worked with some really talented musicians here in Cape Town and we wrote music for every single piece we did. Wow. Um, working very closely together, like picking, you know, drum snares and just making it for each film. So when those films I mentioned earlier, um, The Beauty of the Rational and On the Road, that, that's original music in those written for those films Um, but there was a kind of a change in industry uh, where um, music became much more affordable and there's so many talented musicians around the world so we went through a transition where we went from recording original music to just putting it out there to local musicians um, saying listen let's like we'll, we'll give you budget but nothing to what we can afford to establish musicians um, but what we can give you in return as exposure and we like can trade and if you're happy then we're happy and then and then it ended up now i use a library um and i use artlist um i have used artlist for the last couple of years which is an incredible library mm-hmm. um, but there's also there's there's so many of them there's um half a dozen or a dozen music libraries that are very affordable with amazing music with from up-and-coming musicians so the whole, I think 80% of Transamericana is actually library music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is good library music, isn't it? Like, I just mm. use uh, the YouTube free audio stuff. And, yeah. you know, if you troll through that for long enough, you find something that's, you know, quite good. So you, put, you put in the hours on anything, you can, you can <laughs> get Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So um, Artlist is a good music library. Okay, well, I hope that helps you, Bram. Um, and we've got a couple more questions um, before we leave Dean tonight. Um, so, well, this one's kind of similar. So Guy wants to know, like, what the future of adventure filmmaking is um, in the near future um, yeah so yeah let's go for that one now I suppose he means kind of COVID related um, yeah how's it gonna pan out do you think in 2021 um, I, I think there'll be a hunger for film um, it's the main storytelling medium we have so I don't think a lot will change in terms of the content you see. You might see uh, filmmakers being selected more locally that you won't be traveling such big distances. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've believed for a while now that long form uh, will make a massive comeback and you're already seeing that. Um, I couldn't believe so many people would sit and watch a feature on YouTube. Um, it was quite like when we released Transamericana, I, I wasn't sure how that would be received. Um, because so much stuff is short, snappy, quick, mm-hmm. like it's easy to forget. Um, so when someone makes something that's in excess of an hour, um, there's a lot of intent there and someone wants to say something. 
um, and there's a lot of effort involved, so it makes people concentrate a little bit and actually maybe watch something with substance. Um, so I imagine more long-form stuff will start happening with brands. Well, that's what I hope. I hope happens. <laughs> yeah, awesome. There'll be like less to leave out then, won't there? <laughs> and uh, and Mick, in a similar way, he says, um, does Dean feel that elite trail and ultra races will be able to break into mainstream TV channels? Just given that it's so beautiful there and the lands the landscapes that are so spectacular and it's so exciting he thinks it deserves to be seen by a wider audience so yeah just like do you feel like trail and ultra is sort of breaking into mainstream tv nowadays or um yeah this is the question Uh, there's so many different parties trying at the moment um i haven't seen a formula that works to be honest um uh, just because even if it's a 100-mile race, um, which is effectively what, let's just say, 24 hours for argument's sake, um, it's it's still quite a small window to accumulate enough viewers live over that period um, in terms of live sport that takes a long time to, to watch. Whereas if you look at the WSL, um, the World Surf League, they have like five days to accumulate their views, you know. So there's a lot more value add uh, the whole day, every day for five days. So you can really build up a lot of eyeballs on there, which is obviously attractive for um, companies. So yeah, I haven't. The only place, the only race that I've ever seen that has live TV and it's mainstream and it is super exciting is um, Mount Marathon um, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a 5k up and down race in the mountains they have helicopters it's like this camera crew it feeds live guys at the start line they leave people in the pub that you can watch the top of the mountain from the pub it takes two hours to finish so it's a nice bite size um so that's the only th- formula i've seen work um but uh, i don't think you're going to be watching um UTMB on BBC anytime, anytime soon. It's such a shame because it's so much more interesting than cricket. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, but I, <laughs> I think TV's TV's dying anyway. So you, you you know you got the internet. You don't even need TV anymore, and it's on the internet and yeah. it's live and it's feeding. So yeah, just uh, connect there. an HDMI cable to the laptop and it's on your TV. It's yeah, sort of <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, and I I think there's a place for like I'm really pleased to see a lot of this type of film and your films like on things like Netflix as well um, just free to view uh, for anyone who's got a Netflix sub- subscription because I just think that brings things into more of a mainstream arena as well so um, I'm pretty psyched for the way things are going um, and um, yeah so this brings us to like to start rounding up the chat now so um, I was just wondering um, if you can tell us anything about what's next for you Dean um, and and also are you have you ever been to the UK are you ever thinking of coming to the UK um, yeah I have my wife's actually British oh cool um, so I, I've been uh, and I spent some time there when I was younger um, we don't have a obviously don't have a trip planned um, for the next while um, yeah. <laughs> with, with the situations um, 
but yeah, I did a I did a film out there with actually with Ricky again. Um, we shot in the in Glencoe and in the, the Lake District. Ah, you shot um, was that the really rainy one where he's yeah. in a camper van and it's really rainy? You shot that. Oh exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you saw Britain at his best. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved uh, and I've been down to Kendall before um, at the festival. I've spoken at that festival oh, and um, I love it. Uh, the Lake District's incredible. It really surprised me. It was one of those places. Um, and we had magic weather in Glencoe, which was also just phenomenal. Um, yeah. An incredible place. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, is there anything coming next for you, or uh, is it just all up in the air at the moment? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've got a project pending for two weeks' time, um, uh, which would be up in Namibia, so it's, so I can, it's fairly close. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. We're waiting to get the final go ahead or not. Um, and if that doesn't happen, I've kind of cl- cleared my schedule for the late last late end of the year. Um, so I'll just hang with my. I'll be stoked to hang with my son and my wife and uh, enjoy summer. We we mm-hmm. we're hitting full blown summer here. So we're oh, yeah. 50 meters from the beach and. <laughs> uh, Oh, I completely forgot. Like oh, we're just heading into winter, so yeah, I completely yeah. forgot you guys would be heading into the warmth. <laughs> yes, long days on the beach. Oh, what a lovely time to have an eight-month-old. Um, he'll uh-huh. absolutely love that. And so, um, how can we follow you in everything that we do? Like, um, tell us your website and uh, Instagram details, and we'll get everybody following you. Sure. Our website is wonderingfever.com uh, with an A and fever as in a sickness. Um, <laughs> and uh, Instagram, I need to get this right. I'm terrible with social media. Instagram is the wondering fever, and then Twitter and Facebook is wondering fever. Uh huh. Awesome. I'm sure if they Google it and, and find the website, then the links will be on there as well. Everything's you can link off everything on the website, and there's a lot of, a lot of my work is up on that website as well. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Dean's films yet, um, then all of, well, a lot of your Salomon films especially are on there and they just make such a beautiful watch, really inspiring. Like if you need some motivation, if you haven't got a race during lockdown, then definitely watch one of those films and you'll just be reaching for your trail running shoes immediately after finishing that film. That's how I always feel when I've watched your films. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I need to get out. I need to get out now. That's what happens. <laughs> I'm glad. That's um, what they're meant for. Eh? Yeah, they really, really do do that. They're really beautiful. Um, well, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to you, Dean, for um, spending this time with us this evening. It's been really, um, really intriguing because usually we have a coach or an athlete on, and so it's really nice to get like the other side of the story. So um, I just want to say thank you for, um, for such a, a lovely chat tonight. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Um, well, I'll let you go for your evening now. Um, um, uh, everybody has had a really awesome time. Loads of thumbs ups on the live chat. So thanks, guys, for watching. Um, and yeah, hope to see you soon uh, at an event, maybe next year or, or back in the UK as well. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dean. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Bye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes.
I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.